the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you listen to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Had a little rain earlier, heavy for a while. Sunshine poking through. Might get another shower before things are done. Eventually clear skies tonight. Low down to 60. Mix of clouds and sun for tomorrow. High of 82. Phillies had an 8-5 win over San Diego yesterday. Kyle Schwarber, home run number 21 on the year. Knocked in four runs. They're off tonight. And welcome the Atlanta Braves to town tomorrow night. And in hockey, the Stanley Cup comes to a conclusion. Colorado 2-1 over Tampa Bay. Colorado winning the Stanley Cup four games to two. Gabriel Landeskog, their captain, uh, talked about the feeling of winning a Stanley Cup. It's a relief. It's it's a 20-pound weight lifted off of our shoulders, and it just means so much to be able to bring this championship back to the city of Denver and the fans of Denver. They they were there with us through that tough season, through all the tough seasons, through all the heartbreak over the last few years, and we kept believing in us and Wish we could have done this in front of them, but instead we'll be bringing it home to them, and I'm sure they're partying pretty good in Denver right now. He also talked about how it's not just the players, but it's a total team organizational effort. A lot. I mean, listen, after 16-17, it could have been easy to to fire the coach. It would have been easy to let go of some players. It would have been easy to, after the third year of a second-round exit, um, to blow it up again and, and move some pieces. And But they stuck with us, and they committed to us, and... They brought in, like I said before, they brought in some really high, high quality people that just wanted to do anything they could to win. And all these guys that we've added in the offseason and during this season, and it's just so special. And, and I, I'm just so happy, like I said, to see all these champions and especially to do it with Nate, EJ, Conf, do with the coaches that were here through the tough times. But it's just really special. That's uh, Gabriel Landeskog, the, uh, I think he's the captain, right, Victoria, mm-hmm. of the Colorado Avalanche? He is indeed. He mentioned high-quality people, so we're, that also fits to you being on the microphone there, right? It's been a while. It has been a while. Victoria uh, has been producing the show behind the scenes for quite a while, but today's a special day because today Victoria goes from part-time to full-time. Yes, finally. How about I'm, that? I'm, yeah, it's- Finally, so, I'm so glad to be here full time. Finally, yeah. so part of the full time responsibility is, you know, you know, lending her dulcet tones to the air every now and again. If that's a word, I think it's a word. Uh, Jared Bednar, by the way, the head coach of Colorado, talked about winning the uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, hard to believe. I don't know. It's uh, it's an amazing feeling. Um, it, it's uh, you know, it's still sinking in. It's I feel like we've been working for this for so long. It's it's unbelievable. There's a I have an overwhelming sense of satisfaction, relief. You know, all the emotions kind of hit you all at once. But I tell you, at the end of the day, I'm just so proud of these guys and their dedication and commitment and 
hunger to try and win this year. I mean, they've been fantastic since day one of training camp. I, I love seeing the look on their faces that they all came together and got rewarded. It's amazing. That's Jared Bednar, the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, who won the Stanley Cup uh, four games to two yesterday with a 2-1 win over Tampa Bay, who had been in the uh, championship round been four times in eight years. Tampa Bay actually won the last two. They were trying to be the first team since I was a kid to win three in a row. When I was a kid, the Flyers would get knocked off by the New York Islanders back in the early 80s. The Islanders won four Stanley Cups in a row. So to win is as tough. To repeat is very tough. To win three in a row is almost impossible. And Tampa Bay came close. Uh, it's funny, though. I, you were laughing there off the, off the mic there. Jared Bednar, their head coach, talking hockey, right? Talking hockey ease. The, ho- the hockey accent. Hockey. <laughs> oh, no, those idiots are throwing stuff on the ice. So, uh, anyhow, that's that. Uh, is Anne from Audubon listening today, Victoria? Do you know? I don't know if she is. She might be. Yeah. Uh, she's your biggest fan. Yeah, I know she is, but it's, it's it's actually been a minute, and I don't know what she's currently up to. I did mention that I probably would be live today, but I don't know. Is she hiding under the library her. decks? Is she still working <laughs> she's the library? She's not at the library today. I, I think those are Tuesdays and Thursdays, oh, I believe. So, Because right. she hides under the desk, right, to listen to you? <laughs> right, of course. She yeah, breaks... or has it on her phone secretly. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you in the studio, and we're looking forward to the days to come. There's going to be a lot of other uh, dimensions to our program that we can explore with Victoria you know, in each day, including we would love the program to not just continue with the interviews that we do, but to add more and more opportunities for folks to call in and be part of things. So be, you know, we want to be um, more than just presenting. It's neat to be able to hear your voices, each of the listeners. And uh, so we have that with Trivia Thursday, but there are a lot of other days that we don't do that necessarily. And part of that's just simply logistically. So it'd be great to have Victoria to be able to pick up the calls. We can patch them through and all that and, and uh, have some good conversation. As far as the interviews, though, we do have two special ones today. Todd Nettleton joining us in just a few minutes from The Voice of the Martyrs. This coming Wednesday is a very special day. Uh, recognizing it's Day of the Christian Martyr, and that's this Wednesday. So we'll be talking about uh, a missionary, John Chow, and Todd will tell us about that. You you may hear the program, Voice of the Martyrs, Sunday mornings at 9, I think it is, on WFIL. Uh, Todd has joined us before, and we're looking forward to having him on. A little later on in the hour, Jeremy Samek, who is with Pennsylvania Family Institute, going to join us to talk about Roe v. Wade, as well as, the, you just heard in the top of the hour news update, the, uh, the sports deal with the, the football coach who – for years, actually, was praying at midfield after the game, and players wanted to join them. They could something simple, brief, nothing elaborate. But there was a time where that got kind of, uh, you know, like we, the, the administration wanted it to go away, and it didn't. And he wound up being let go. And so, uh, without going into it further here, we'll wait for Jeremy to chat in because ch- you know join the show because he knows all about that, and we'll be sharing more about that. On our program today, we'll shoehorn some other things in, too. You listen to Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. It's 411 on the Tim DeMoss Show. And we're glad to bring on board now from the Voice of the Martyrs, a longtime friend of the program and station, Todd Nettleton. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Well, how are you? Good. Good to hear your voice again. Been a little while, uh, but with good purpose here. We have coming up on Wednesday uh, a special day, uh, you know. So we want to get into what that's about. But before we get into that, too, we have the radio program each Sunday on WFIL, and uh, maybe just for those who have not heard you on the show before or on a familiar, just take a moment and, and share about your background with the Voice of the Martyrs and the radio broadcast that you do. 
Well, the Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry to persecuted Christians working in more than 70 countries around the world to help our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith in Christ. Uh, the founders of VOM were persecuted Christians themselves. Pastor Richard Wormbrand spent 14 years in prison. His wife, Sabina, spent three years in prison in Romania for their faith. Uh, I've been with the ministry now more than 20 years, uh, traveling the world, interviewing persecuted Christians, hearing their stories, documenting their stories. And that's really what we do on Voice of the Martyrs Radio every weekend, as we hear from someone either who has been persecuted themselves uh, or is working in a hostile or restricted nation where they could face persecution for that work. Uh, those are the kind of people we talk to. Yeah. And you've done a lot of those interviews yourself, even on, in the field, so to speak. Obviously, it's not the kind of thing you just pick up the phone necessarily and talk to someone. Maybe some of them can be, but I would think that you've done a lot of in the field, in the environment type of interviews too. A lot of those uh, travel. I think the last count, I'd been in 54 countries, and uh, so I've had a chance to sit down and uh, just meet some amazing heroes of the faith. You you know, the Bible talks about uh, those who suffered for the gospel. It says uh, the world was not worthy of them. Literally, they are too good for this world. And I've had the chance to go and have a cup of tea and hear their stories and ask them questions. And, uh, you know, I really, I, I think of it as, uh, sitting down with Paul and Silas after they came out of the Philippian jail and just being <laughs> wow. able to say, hey, you know, why did you decide to sing in the middle of the night? You know, what was it that prompted you to decide to sing? And what did you think when the earthquake happened and the stocks came open and you were free? What, what was going on in your mind? Those are the kind of conversations that God has allowed me to have, and I, I consider it an amazing blessing on my life. On the program that we air Sunday mornings, uh, then just for folks, if they want to make a, you know, a little appointment with their radio, uh, to listen in, is there a typical way that you would, uh, you know, format that, if you will, like a one interview per show, or the how you want, you know, what you want to get across per program? Typically, it is one interview per show, and it's simply a chance for someone to share their story. Uh, last week, we had Helen Berhane, who uh, was locked in prison in Eritrea, actually spent months and months and months uh, in a shipping container. So no running water, no toilet. It was a bucket in the corner. It was miserably hot in the daytime and in the summer. It was miserably cold in the winter and at night. Uh, and yet she was there singing and and just kept on singing. Literally, uh, the prison guards were like, how are we going to get this woman to shut up? Uh, And she would not stop singing. And so that's typically our format is just, hey, let's let's sit down, let's hear this person's story. And I and I get to kind of dive in and and hopefully bring out some some spiritual truths and some applications and some lessons for us as an American audience, because, you know, most of us are not going to be locked in a shipping container, uh, but we can still learn from someone like Helen. And and that attitude of, hey, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to keep singing. That's an attitude we could all learn from. Amen. Folks, just tuning in, we're chatting with Todd Nettleton with Voice, the Voice of the Martyrs, that program you can catch each Sunday morning at 9 on uh, WFIL. Have you, it's occurring to me as you're talking there and all the people you've spoken with, have you noticed a couple of main themes that pop out no matter who you're talking to, whatever part of the world uh, that you, you know, the, the persecuted church member might be from? You know, I'd, I don't know that it, I would say it's a theme, but it's certainly a quality. One, one of the things that you see, and I I kind of learned this early on because my picture is I'm going to go and interview this Christian who's been persecuted and locked in prison and maybe beaten, and, and they're going to be really 
discouraged and depressed. And, you know, isn't it great that I could come from America and try to cheer them up? And the reality is they, they are not depressed. Uh, they're like Helen. They're, they're keeping on singing. And so that is one thing is just that joy, the joy of the Lord. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget talking with Pastor Hassan, who was locked in prison in Sudan. And uh, many of the nights, it was a very crowded prison. Many of the nights he had to sleep on the concrete floor of, of his cell. And he said, I would lay on the floor in the middle of the night and I would weep. And, and my question was, oh, you know, was it more because it was so miserable in the cell or was it more because you missed your family? Like, like what was it that caused you to lay on the floor and, and cry? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I would weep at the presence of Jesus because he was so close in that prison cell. He was he was so meaningful and so personal in that cell that I would just weep tears of joy in the presence of Christ. And I thought, oh, I, I have a lot to learn from someone like Pastor Hassan. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. And you've written um, and been involved with the Voice of the Martyrs like uh, you know written projects and you did a book last year is that right the uh, when faith I is did. forbidden yeah talk about when that too when, yeah when faith is yeah. forbidden this is uh this is 40 of the most powerful stories that i've heard from persecuted christians and the book is written as a bit of a travel log hey let's let's take a trip together let's go for 40 days and every day we'll meet a persecuted christian we'll hear their story and uh, on day 41, your faith is going to look different than, than it did when we started. And uh, it was published last year by Moody Publisher. It actually just was announced a month or so ago as a Christian Book Award winner for this year. And uh, so it's it's gotten a very good reception. And uh, the power is in the stories of our brothers and sisters. And I'm simply a, kind of a messenger or a storyteller, uh, just telling their stories and letting you meet face to face with these people through the pages of this book. Amen. Todd Nettleton's our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. The 29th of June, Day of the Christian Martyr. Uh, talk about the that day. And then specifically, we can ch- chat about Jonathan, uh, John Chow. Well, the day of the Christian martyr, as you mentioned, June 29th. Why June 29th? According to church history, that is the day that the Apostle Paul was beheaded outside the city of Rome. So what better day to think about those who gave their life for the cause of Christ than the day that the Apostle Paul gave his life? You know, the, the first missionary, the, the greatest missionary ever. Uh, and, and so that is, that's how that day got came into being. And, and what we try to do every year here at Voice of the Martyrs is, hold up the story of someone else who gave their life for the cause of Christ. And thus, this year we're talking about John Chow, the young man who was killed on North Sentinel Island in 2018, uh, literally hit the beach, was on the beach only maybe even a matter of minutes or hours before he was killed by the Sentinelese people. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of press after that in 2018, and the press was you know, this this silly guy, young man, adrenaline junkie, adventurer, he got so confused and so far off the beaten path that he got himself killed. Uh, and, and the idea was kind of he woke up that morning and thought, you know what, I, I think I'll go to North Sentinel Island today. The reality and the, and the truth and the story that we're getting to tell this year for Day of the Christian Martyr is, hey, this is a young man that God called as a teenager to North Sentinel Island. He spent nine years preparing to go Every single decision that he made for nine years was with an eye towards landing on that beach to the point. And when I say every decision, I mean 
all through college, John took cold showers because he said, hey, I'm not going to have a water heater on the island. I need to prepare my body for cold showers. So he took cold showers through through college. He had LASIK surgery because he knew contact lenses would be almost impossible on the island. He took linguistics courses to help him learn this completely unknown language. Nobody off of the island speaks the language. How would he learn it? Well, he took linguistics courses to help him be ready. Every decision for nine years was with an eye towards going there and ultimately sharing the gospel with the Sentinelese people. Wow. And where uh, physically, where is that uh, that island? It is in the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's actually closer to Burma than it is to India, but it is a it is a part. It's a territory of the nation of India, and a uh, little speck of an island. There are estimates that there are maybe as many as five hundred islanders. Uh, more likely less than that, uh, but somehow got implanted and called John Chow to that island. He he took four scouting trips ahead of time to the region. He was involved with Christians there, and, and one of the things he was looking for is is somebody else trying to go to North Central Island. He he was quite happy to serve in a support role. If there were someone else who was preparing to go, there was no one going. And, and John had this call on his life, and so he said, okay, here am I, send me. And uh, he knew it was risky. He knew it was dangerous. But he also knew that the Lord had called him, and he was determined to be obedient to that call. Do you know how he found out or what, what piqued his interest in the first place or what would lead to you – know, if it's, if it's hard to know about and most people don't they're, – they're unreached peoples, then you wonder, like, well, how do you get information about them or you know, bits and pieces and eventually put something together to say, I think this is where God's calling me? The reports, it happened through the Joshua Project, which is a website that has information about unreached people groups. John, as a a high school student, went on a mission trip to Mexico, uh, and he came back. He grew up in in Northern California. He came back from that mission trip feeling like God's calling me to be a missionary, not necessarily to a place, but but he said, okay, God, I'll, I'll go as a missionary. Where do you want me to go? And he began to do some research, and, and just he came across uh, the Sentinelese people in North Sentinel Island, this, this small island, completely unreached, and God somehow grabbed a hold of him to say, that's where I want you to go. And John told the story, we actually have it in our magazine this month, that on his uh, on his first scouting trip, uh, he was in the region, and, and he was wrestling with us, like, like, is this really, are you really calling me to this, God? Is this, am, am I really the person you want to go to this island? I, I'm just me. Uh, I, you know, is it really your call for me? And he said, as as they took off, as he was coming home back to America, they took off, he's looking out the window of the plane, and into view comes uh, an island out in the middle of the ocean, and John instantly recognized it because he had had a satellite picture of North Central Island up on the dorm room wall all four years of college. He instantly recognized out the window, that's North Central Island. That's the island I've been praying about. That's the island God called me to. And he said in that moment, God just confirmed to him, that's where I'm supposed to go. This is God's call for me. Now, ultimately, he would take three more scouting trips before the final trip when he actually went to the island. Uh, he spent hours and hours and hours with another missionary who had reached uh, an unreached tribe in that part of the world, uh, asking questions, talking about strategy, talking about you know the first contact. How do you make first contact? Um, so like I say, for nine years, every decision led to him landing on that beach. And, and his plan was 
I'm basically going to disappear from the rest of the world. I'm just going to live among the Sentinelese. I'm going to learn the language. Uh, you know, maybe it'll take 10 years. Maybe it'll take 20 years. Uh, maybe it'll, you know, maybe I'll die there. Uh, but his plan was I'm going to go and I'm there as long as it takes. That's well, you know, and, and 20, he died at 26. Is that right? He was 26. Yeah, he's about a month shy of his 27th birthday. You know, I don't know about you. Uh, you you have uh, you have kids, right? I do. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, in fact, right about John's age. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. my oldest is about John's age. Yeah. Our oldest is uh, just turned 24. And I think of also I'm, I'm impressed with him. I, you know, I'm very proud of our kids or whatever. But he went to Jordan uh, when he was maybe 20 with a small team from his school and did a documentary on Syrian refugees. And uh, it changed him in a lot of positive ways. Uh, and he's teaching film now at a Christian school. But uh, the, just the notion of the appreciation for what some of these peoples around the world are going through uh, at such a young age. And I like what you said earlier, I'm just pairing it with the fact that he, that uh, John Chow was saying, me, is, are you talking to me, Lord? Like, is it really? It's just it's just me. That I, I want to encourage the audience that, yeah, it, it could be just you that God's talking mm-hmm. to. It doesn't have to be someone on a pedestal or someone who went to do seminary and all kinds of other things that has specific training. Maybe God is calling people in the WFI audience to do whatever work that, that God's calling them to, to not say, that couldn't be me, right? I'm just me. So uh, anyway, I identify with the fact that it's, a, in my case, a, or in your case, our kids are about this young man's age and that but that didn't stop him from being involved at all it didn't stop him and uh, you know one of the things that john said and we have john's journals we have the last few days of his journals and one of the things that john said repeatedly is you know he believed that success in the kingdom of god is measured in obedience Uh, and so if you're obedient you're successful and he said, I, I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient to this call. And, you know, his, his last night he wrote in the journal, he said, you know, I, I don't want to die. God, I, I think I can be more used to you if I'm alive. But if that's your plan, if that's your will, I accept that. I'm willing for that. And, and so that's really, you know, why we're holding him up on this day of the Christian martyr. And, and the goal isn't sort of to, you know, hold John up on a pedestal. The goal is for each of us to think about, okay, what what would I sacrifice? What would I give up to see my neighbors reach for Christ, to see my city reach for Christ, or to see, you know, the Sentinelese people or another people across the world reach for Christ? What what is it worth? What what value does it have that we would sacrifice ourselves to see that goal accomplished? Todd, is there a um, a best way for folks to maybe find out, I guess, find out more about the story of John Chow, but also if they want to participate in Day of the Christian Martyr, which again is the 29th of June, or if they can't that day, you maybe maybe a church uh, listening in wants to do something, well, you missed missed it from last Sunday, maybe you could still do something this weekend or whatever, at least, uh, or soon. Is there a best place to point people for that? Absolutely. Persecution.com is the main Voice of the Martyrs website. The Day of the Christian Martyr stuff is right at the top of the page right now, so you can get to all those things. There are resources there. There's a three-minute video about John actually using words from his journal to tell his story. Hmm. Uh, There are some discussion questions. There's even a sermon outline. Like you say, if you're a pastor, if you're a church, there's a sermon outline there you can borrow from or you can take it all. Uh, But there are lots of resources, persecution.com. That's great. Todd, it's great to hear your voice and and to share this with the listeners. And we hope to get a chance to chat with you again. I think we're going to be working together later in the fall, too. So that'll be great to reconnect then as well. I will look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.
You too. Thank you. That's Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs. You can catch that program Sunday mornings at 9 on WFIL. We'll be back in just a couple of moments. We're looking forward to having a special guest, Jeremy Samack, with Pennsylvania Family Institute joining us as well. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. WFIL.com on the app. That's the Giver of Dreams. Parody of Billy Joel's The River of Dreams. Apologetics is the band, and you can win that CD on our site. We have a contest going for another week or so. The new CD is called Come See, Come Saw. Apologetics has 12 biblical parodies on this CD, songs from the 60s through the 90s, artists ranging from Elvis to Billy Joel to Right Said Fred and Depeche Mode. It's all over the map. Apologetics has, I think, 65 CDs out over the years. Kind of a weird Al Yankovic meets Billy Graham. And the, the name of the band actually comes from 1 Peter 3.15, uh, meaning the defense of the Christian faith, Apologetics, except Apologetics spells their name, the band name, with an X. So if you want to find out more about the band, it's A-P-O-L-O-G-E-T-I-X. Uh, so you know, like, like it sounds, no double consonants, and, uh, and it ends in X. But in the meantime, WFIL.com, if you want to... Try our hand at winning a copy. We love making winners, and we've uh, teamed up with Apologetics before to give away their CDs. Uh, we are now glad to bring on board Jeremy Samak with the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Jeremy, how you doing? Oh, great. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, wonderful. It's been a little while. I think we have uh, had you on once or twice before. You guys have a wonderful roster of folks, uh, Alexis Sneller and Dan Barkoyak and Randall Wenger and Michael Gear. So uh, all depending, the team is working on more, I'm sure, than that but working on all kinds of different uh, cases and keeping up on what's going on. So we had a couple we wanted to run by, uh, certainly the Roe v. Wade being overturned, and also the uh, the football coach situation uh, that just came down, I guess, in the last day or two or whatever. So let's start with Roe v. Wade, since that uh, that, that broke late, and uh, I was actually not here to, to call over and see if someone could come on and chat about it. Um, Talk about what's going on, what you, what you have been part of, you personally, in your day-to-day. Even step back for a second, what you do day-to-day with Pennsylvania Family Institute, and then how your work has been going with Roe v. Wade and, and your thoughts on it. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm the chief of staff of Pennsylvania Family Institute and senior counsel uh, at the Independence Law Center, which is our, our law firm uh, affiliated with this organization. And we do a lot of work with religious liberty, a lot of work with pro-life issues and free speech issues. Um, right now we're working a lot on uh, protecting people from uh, the coercive aspects of the LGBT activists right now, whether it's in schools or in workplaces. And, you know, I got to tell you, um, I've been in practicing law for for 16, 17 years, and uh, this is a day, a Friday was a day that I've been looking forward to um, well before I ever became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I went to law school, um, I want to make sure that we're protecting uh, all human life, but especially the most vulnerable, the most innocent. And so seeing seeing uh, a decision that takes a major roadblock out of the way is very important. So if you want me to, I can just give you a brief, brief synopsis. Please do. Uh, what it is and what it isn't. Please do. I, um, I, I would never like to assume people know what's, I mean, including myself. You know, it's always good to have a refresher at minimum. Yeah. So back in 1973, uh, almost every state uh, made abortion illegal. And so most of them, it was, it was uh, criminalized the, the abortionist who, who would 
who would act to kill that unborn child. And um, the Supreme Court stepped in and reverse Wade, and they basically said, and they did say, that it's illegal for states. Um, it's illegal for states to regulate abortion, to make it illegal. Um, imagine they came in and said it's illegal for states to say that slavery uh, is is illegal in their state. Yeah. Even in the early part of our country's history, uh, we had a situation where slavery was legal in some states and not legal in other states. Right, right. But with abortion, uh, up until 1973, it was illegal in almost every state. And there were some that were starting to, to make them more liberalized. Uh, but that court came in and said all all states have to accept a legal killing of unborn children. Um, and and what, so, what prompted that? It was the Roe v. Wade case specifically. It was. It was just a lawsuit. It was a lawsuit wow. by somebody who actually ended up having their baby. Um, <laughs> wow! Wow! But it, it's been a decision that uh, most people have heard the name. Most people don't understand what it actually did. So a lot of people um, they hear Roe v. Wade, they think, "Well, boy, shouldn't that be around?" To uh, because what if this person has a miscarriage? Shouldn't they be able to to have that taken care of? Or if there's any medical complications? Well, that's not an abortion. Um, yeah. What if the it's a, a ectopic pregnancy? Um, and that, that's where it doesn't actually go down and implant. It's in the uterus or it's in a tube, and, and the mother would die if you don't take out an ectopic pregnancy. Well, that's not an abortion either. Roe versus Wade wasn't necessary ever to save the life of the mother. What Roe versus Wade did, did was make it legal to kill a baby just for elective reasons, and no reason at all. Um, and one of the companion cases, Doe versus Dalton, I believe, um, did the same thing and said you could have health exceptions, but it could be as simple as. Um, I'm stressed out that I'm pregnant and, you know, I have five kids myself and I, yeah. I don't think I've ever met a woman who said that <laughs> pregnancy didn't stress her out a little bit. So essentially it said you can have a pregnancy for any reason whatsoever. So, wow. uh, fast forward to Friday and there was a case that came before the Supreme court, uh, Mrs. Well, let's go to the nineties. The nineties was a case called Casey. Um, that was the next time that the court addressed whether you could have, whether this Roe versus Wade was a constitutional decision. And it was actually the state of Pennsylvania's laws um, that they were challenging. And some of those laws were upheld, uh, like a waiting period um, and parental notification laws. Uh, but some of them were struck down. And so they, they maintained legalized abortion. But instead of a trimester standard, they switched it to a viability standard. Okay. Um, so states have some ability to regulate abortions after viability, which obviously changes as medical technology changes. And that's not really in the Constitution at all nor is abortion. And so on Friday, that's what the court said. Um, they said, look, there is no standard that judges have. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives us the ability to determine for states uh, that they have to have abortion. And there's no line that we can draw when they have to have it and when they can. And so it was a 6-3 decision. Um, five of the justices said there's absolutely no line. One of them, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, said, we think Mississippi's 15-week line is fine, but he wouldn't go beyond that, at least in this case. And then the three liberal judges dissented. What this does, it doesn't make abortion illegal. Um, And so that's a really important thing for people to know. What this does is just says that now states, the state legislature and state courts, um, which they really shouldn't, because they're making the same mistake as the, as the judges did in Roe, but the state legislature or a state court can 
regulate abortion. And so that's great news for states that have good legislatures and good governors who are going to protect life. And there's a number of those states already who have laws that said as soon as Roe is is gone, our state is immediately going to resort to protecting life. And so that's that's a wonderful thing in those states. In Pennsylvania, nothing has changed. Um, we have a legislative law in the books that that Casey versus Planned Parenthood decision was all about that allows abortion at six months. Up until six months, you can you can uh, kill an unborn baby for any reason, um, except the sex of the baby. Wow. And so wow. that's so, the status quo in that, Pennsylvania. Doesn't that seem a little weird? That I mean, not weird is the right word, but why bother even putting? I, I guess that seems super trivial. Like like oh, you don't like a boy or girl. That really draws out the fact that you are now just doing it because you don't like. Oh, having a boy would stress me out. Girls are so much more difficult or, or the other way around, whatever it might be. Like that seems very trivial, but anything short of that would be allowed. That's very interesting. Sure. And, and, and the left has been fighting against other uh, states that have passed laws like that where they've said you can't have an abortion based on race. Um, and those have been held unconstitutional under the old standard. I love saying that, under the old standard. Yeah. Uh, also, states that, like Pennsylvania, even we've passed through the House and the Senate uh, laws that said you couldn't do it purely based on a diagnosis of Down syndrome. And uh, folks on the pro-abortion side of the ledger even fight against that. Um, so that's where they are. And there's a lot of states that have pushed abortion all the way up to nine months. So Pennsylvania is six months right now. You can have an abortion for any reason up to those six months. And then after six months, you can still have one in the case of uh, if the life of the mother is at risk. Okay. Um, except for or, the gender you were mentioning. Except for the gender, but that's if a, right. if a child is – if it's, they look and say, oh, this child has Down syndrome, that could be sufficient reason? They could they could have an abortion for any reason. Except. They have a Down syndrome. Yeah. Down except syndrome diagnosis. Wow. Right. And so – so th- this is good news because now our state legislative races and governor races have become much, much more important. Yeah. They were important before, but they're even more important now. Um, but we have, we have a problem here in Pennsylvania. Um, the abortion clinics, the abortion industry, have seen the writing on the wall. Um, so about a year and a half ago, they filed a lawsuit in the state court, um, in the state courts of Pennsylvania, arguing that there should be a right to abortion in our state court. So think of Roe versus Wade in our Pennsylvania Constitution. That's what they're asking for. But they didn't stop there. They also are asking for a, a state constitutional right to force taxpayers to pay for elective abortions. So abortions out of convenience. Um, they want the state taxpayers to pay for that. Um, that's something that even under the Roe versus Wade standards, uh, and even we have a Pennsylvania Supreme Court from 1985 who also said that even though you may be able to have an abortion, there's no constitutional right to taxpayer funding of those abortions. Um, but that's what they're asking for here in Pennsylvania. They're asking our five, there are seven uh, Supreme Court judges um, in Pennsylvania. Five of them are, are pretty far left and two of them are Republicans. And so they have the numbers. And they've shown themselves to be fairly activist at times, and certainly when abortion is at issue. Yeah. And so there's a big danger that, in that case is before that PA Supreme Court right now, there's a danger that in the next month or two, they could hold oral arguments, um, all the briefing is already in, and they could invent a right to abortion in our state constitution and taxpayer funding of that. There is good news, though. Um, the good news is that our state legislature, we've we helped 
um, draft um, and helped push this through a amendment to our state constitution that would essentially do with this decision that the U.S. Supreme Court just did in Dobbs, which is to say our constitution in the state does not give you a right to taxpayer funding of abortion or any other abortion rights. Yeah. And so this is, protects the ability of the legislature uh, to protect uh, preborn life. That's Is that the Life Amendment? Yes. Okay. Yep. Senate Bill 956. Folks just tuning in, Jeremy Samick's our guest. He's senior counsel for Pennsylvania Family Institute. We uh, have had him on before and a number of folks from PA Family Institute in the past. And you can find out more at org. I guess. Is that the is that correct? PAFamily.org, yes. For, there's a lot to keep track of, obviously. We want to kind of cut through and, and, and lay out some of what's been happening. But that way people can go and, uh, at their speed and find out more about what's been going on. Also, action points at the site, uh, Jeremy, are there, uh, to your knowledge, things that people can go to PAFamily.org to find out, not just information, but then here's a suggested path of how you can support whatever angle, whatever case is being discussed? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to pafamily.org, um, you can go and you can sign up for our emails and you'll get you'll get one or two emails uh, a week telling you what's going on in the Capitol, yeah. ways that you can easily contact your state representative, your state senator, um, so that you can let them know uh, what legislation you hope they're supporting. And you'll you'll know as an individual, but you'll be making sure that they know that, that the people are watching and they're they're encouraging them. Uh, to pass good laws and to oppose bad ones. And so if you go to our website, you can sign up for our emails there. You could also go to our Citizen Action Center at pafamily.org right at the top. Um, and there are, there's a number of legislative uh, items that are current that you can take action on there and let your state representative and senator know that you'd like them to vote for. Okay. And, and if folks have listened to our program, uh, Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL Philadelphia, folks just tuning in uh, over the last few years, you know that the folks at PA Family Institute are not a, a one-trick pony, so to speak. It's uh, all sorts of it matters of uh, life and morality and, uh, and, and wanting to uh, address what's going on. And that's one reason I really enjoy having you guys on is because you, you are – dealing with this day in and day out uh and just i guess it was just today right the the football coach situation uh came down from the supreme court that's right coach kennedy so that that case has been going on since 2015 in fact that's uh the day that's the year that i got on staff at pennsylvania family institute so that up the past seven years wow um that case has been here as long as my tenure yeah so tell us for folks who aren't aware of that what's the what was the original story in 2015 and and what what the result is now yeah, Coach, Coach Kennedy, um, he was a football coach out in Washington State, and he, um, great guy. He grew up, he was in the foster care system, uh, had a very difficult upbringing, but uh, as he got older, he, he, um, he said, you know, I want to get, I want to help kids that are like me. The, the school district he was in, a lot of working class families, and he wanted to build into the lives of kids the way that people had built into his life when he was younger. And so he became a football coach. And one of the things that he did was after the games, he would go, quietly by himself to the middle of the field, kneel down and say a quiet prayer to himself, 15, 30 seconds most. Um, did this for a while, never never uh, caused any issues and um, until somebody in, a, in, in another school took notice and made a complaint. And so there were a few students um, who had come up to him and said, hey, what are you doing? And I'm praying, hey, can I join you? And he said, it's a free country. He wasn't forcing anybody to pray. Um, certainly wasn't even leading anybody in prayer. It was just a quiet personal prayer. Um, and, and and this was at a time when anybody else was able to go and, and they could call their neighbor. They could have a conversation about a vacation, um, things 
they could do whatever they wanted to at that time, make a hotel reservation. Right. And so he was fired. He was told, you got to stop praying. Um, you got to stop going to the mineral field and do this or, or else you're going to be fired. And, and he said, look, I think I have a right to do this. And they said, well, you're fired. So it went up to the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Ninth Circuit uh, ruled against him. But not only that, they added uh, sort of a slap in the face on the way and, and said that he was being a bad example. He should be an example for the kids, and he's being a bad example by going into the, into the middle of the field and praying. And who said that? The, this is the Ninth Circuit. They, they were complaining that he, this was not a good example for him to be setting, to, to be showing uh, any sort of religious exercise wow. or religious practice. And so yeah. um, we, filed a, we filed an amicus brief, and actually two amicus briefs, in support of Coach Kennedy. Um, we were arguing the importance of free speech, the importance of free, uh, freedom of religion, but also pointing out you know, the Constitution requires us to be neutral to religion when it comes to public involvement and government involvement in religious things. It doesn't require us to be hostile to religion. Yeah. But if you go in those schools today, you, what you would see as a student or as a teacher, you would see teachers in the school advocating for many, many social causes, many political causes, coercing kids, indoctrinating kids into all of these things. But yet, when you have a person who's not coercing or indoctrinating anybody into their religious beliefs, but simply doing a, a solitary single exercise or expression where somebody else, invisible to somebody else of religious belief, right? that's viewed as something that needs to be removed and remediated from the school. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, from whatever perspective you're looking at this, that doesn't uh, give any connotation of neutrality. It gives a connotation of hostility, like there's something wrong with it. Sure. I always like to say with these religious liberty cases in schools that we're involved with, sometimes there's this perception that religious exercise in a public school is like asbestos, where if you identify it, you have to seek it out, identify it, and then get it out of the schools. That's how they treat religious liberty, and that's not the case. Yeah, and I guess really, realistically, considering the condition of the human heart, uh, it's not to be—it's not a surprise when you think about it. Even even though what people constitute as religion, because you could actually go back to some like Bob Dylan had a song years ago. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And mm. so, whether it's an official religion, if you will, Christianity or Islam or anything, versus I don't serve any god. I'm my—I I ultimately you pointed out like, well. Then who's who's in charge? Who do you worship? Oh, I, I worship being in charge of my own life, or yeah. something like that, right? In the end, they they just don't want anybody telling them what to do, and therefore the irrational pushback uh, compared to, like you said, being in class and being very willing to state what they believe, and even uh, intimidating students or whatever it might be. That's right. Yep. So, so it, it was a very encouraging decision today, and it's it's one of those decisions that's going to help uh, schools around the country. Um, who in the past may have looked at something and said, we really don't think this is that big of a deal. Um, but in the interest of not being sued, we're going to uh, squash this person's free exercise rights. Yeah. And what the court very clearly said is, listen, it is not a justification to uh, discriminate or to, to shut down religious speech um, merely because you're afraid of some uh, hypothetical uh, violation of the Establishment Clause. Yeah. And that's what's been going on far too long. Um, false uh, appeals to the Establishment Clause have caused people to have to feel like they have justification for violating the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. 
Jeremy Samick has been kind enough to spend some time with us today. He's senior counsel for Pennsylvania Family Institute, pafamily.org, to find out more about uh, the work that they're doing, the Roe v. Wade, the, uh, the football coach situation. We just came down today with the uh, Supreme Court, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again, Jeremy, in the future to talk more about these things. And uh, thank you again for taking time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, have a great day. You too. Keep up the good work. Jeremy Samick there on the Tim DeMoss Show. Quick break. We'll wrap things up in just a moment. Listen to AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 457, just about done the show. Victoria, you have some names there, people who have won in our Ministry of the Month so far in June. Such as? Yes, we have Bob of Norristown, PA, Tim of Mine Hill, New Jersey, Barry of Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey, and Tina of Bloomsburg, PA are just some of the winners this week. That's good. Uh, Ministry of the Month is Let's Talk About Jesus with Wayne Momblow. That's 11.30 a.m. each weekday, several times over the weekend. And those people have won Friendship with God, which is Wayne's classic book, came out in the early 80s and then again in the early 2000s, revised. And uh, it features numerous liberating scriptural truths, warm character studies of Abraham and Moses, and life experiences all shared in Wayne's down-to-earth style. But most importantly, it helps bring readers into a joyous relationship with the Lord and shares about God's desire to walk hand-in-hand with you each day. So we encourage you to sign up. There are weekday winners. Uh, in addition, getting the, to the book, Get a, a New Life in Jesus' Own Words. It's a booklet. Plus, there's a grand prize you could win. There's still time to enter. Today's Monday the 27th, so you have today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Not too late. WFIL.com is where you go for that. Let's talk about Jesus with Wayne Monblow. Heard weekdays at 1130 a.m. Several times over the weekend, WFIL's June Ministry of the Month. Thanks for listening. Alistair Begg, Truth for Life, up next in WFIL. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.